so good to see you all here with us this morning. Uh, thankful that you could be here in the house of God, and if you're joining with us online this morning, we're thankful that you are joining us there as we uh, continue into this new year and still have to deal with this pandemic that is on our hands, and certainly a most difficult week that we have had in our nation. If you would please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, we'll be looking specifically at verses 39 and 40. Matthew 22, verses 39 and 40. And while you're turning there, two very quick announcements. First one is this, if you notice in your bulletin, and I, I forgot to mention this last week, and shame on me for doing so, but Lottie Moon, I want to uh, share with you a praise. Uh, our goal for Lottie Moon was $8,000, and you all were so generous, you gave 12,000, uh, more than $12,500. And thank you so much for your generous giving, and that money will go directly to our international missionaries to help further the gospel all around this globe. Second thing is this, with the uh, record-breaking uh, numbers of coronavirus, uh, consensus from our senior adults is that we will postpone our senior adult activities uh, for the month of January and pick them back up prayerfully in February. Well, with that said, we approach a, uh, a sobering time in the United States of America. This has been a hard week. And today, I, I don't think this message could uh, be any more timely, honestly. The Lord led me to this message many weeks ago in preparation as we stepped into the new year to refocus us as a church on our mission statement to love God, love others, and make disciples. And today, we'll be looking at what it is to love others. As we've stepped into this week, we've seen how difficult it has been for peace and brotherhood in the United States of America. But the problem, I think, is that what we face today in modern America, and especially this week, is that Christians are not seen as loving. As we watched riots, as people smashing into the Capitol, and desecrating the seat of our government. They did so with banners that said, Jesus saves. They did so under the name of Jesus Christ as they were beating up cops. And I've had a person on my Facebook page leave this message that I think sums this up well. He's making the argument that the Antichrist will come and bring peace on earth. I was trying to understand his statement as he was throwing it out there to say the Antichrist does in fact come and initially brings a false peace. And this was his response that should be telling to us, brothers and sisters. He says, anybody on earth with the ability to reason knows that modern Christianity is anti-peaceful. That's how we are viewed not only in the United States of America, but around the world right now, as they have watched the images transmitted across the globe on what has happened in our nation's capital. Now, how many of you that have been studying prophecy would have ever thought that perhaps the ushering in of the Antichrist and the welcoming of the peace he would bring would be because Christians are so hateful? that they would see the Antichrist as a good alternative to Christianity. That's what this man is saying. This has to change, brothers and sisters. This has to change. 
And the only way that it can is for the words of Jesus Christ, for the scriptures that we are looking at today, to not be something that we just agree with mentally, but something that we take action on. And it has to move into our very hearts. And it has to translate into something that we do. So if you have found Matthew chapter 22, verses 39 and 40, and you are able, will you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? This follows on the heels of what we were looking at last week. With the first command, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. Now 39 and 40. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Let's pray. Mighty Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray right now, Father, that you would show yourself in a mighty way in these United States. Father, that you would move in the midst of the brotherhood of Jesus Christ. Father, to pour out your spirit in love on us. And Father, to transform our thoughts, our hearts, our minds, our actions to not be those of hate and vitriol and anger, but of peace, of love, of caring for one another. Oh, Father, our nation is on a precipice, torn at the very seams. Father, you have called your church to be ambassadors of peace. Father, I pray that we would hear that message. Lord, on this most important Sunday, Father, I pray that you would speak and move me out of the way. Father, that your words would be heard and that it would sink into our very hearts. And that, Father, even now, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Pray this in the strong and the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Certainly, this is a continuation of last week. I had laid on my heart that we needed to, as a church, refocus as we stepped into 2021, as we've come out of such a hard year. And as part of that, I would spend three Sundays on our mission statement as a church, to love God, love others, and make disciples. And certainly, as we approach today to love others, we cannot divorce from it, love God. Jesus Christ was the first in all of his infinite wisdom to take all the laws that the Jews had been following and sum them up in two and to fuse together to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, with all of your mind, and to love others as self. And see, we cannot exercise proper love for God that we saw last week. We cannot exercise proper love for God without love for others. 1 John 4, 20 and 21 tells us this. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. You hear this. They cannot be divorced from one another. True love for God will manifest also in true love for others. And Jesus has told us in verse 40 here that all of Scripture, every word that we read in the Bible, all of Scripture hangs on these two commands. Why? Because these two commands center us and center our hearts. And if our heart is after God, it will be after love for others. And then everything else will line up 
from these two things. All of Scripture hangs on love for God and love for others. Now, as we approach this text, we see he says, love your neighbor as yourself, and as we're going to soon see, that question is posed to him in another place, who is my neighbor? And so we must address who is my neighbor. And of course, in first century and before, as we look in Jewish culture, a neighbor was to be understood as a fellow covenant believer. In the first century with Jesus, it would be a believer in Jesus Christ. Certainly, literally, a neighbor, the one who is close to us, but also the neighbor that is my brother. But it is nebulous enough that again, as we're going to see soon, the question would be posed to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And the answer surprised the person who asked it, and it should surprise us today, who is our neighbor? And so this must be our question, who is my neighbor? When we speak of love others, who is the other that I am supposed to love? As we approach this, the first thing I want to point out is this. We'll start with the closest thing. Our neighbor is our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the first thing, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to start here because if we cannot love inside the church, what hope does the world have? If it cannot start in the brotherhood of believers, there is no hope for the rest of of the world. See, the homogeny of the church is unique in all of human history because it takes peoples of disparate differences, of different cultures, of different races, of different political ideologies, and it unifies them under one banner of love for Jesus Christ. And it is unique because it reflects the true kingdom of God. And if there is not love in the church, it is not reflecting the kingdom of God. For scripture tells us in that day when we are with him in heaven, there will be representatives of peoples of different tribes and different tongues and different nations. And they will all be unified. And we can see this example immediately even amongst the 12 disciples of Jesus Christ. If you notice, when you look at the list of the disciples, some of them have titles that come after their name, three of which in particular are something we should see. We see Simon the Zealot. We also see Matthew the tax collector. And a third one, potentially Judas Iscariot, can either mean he's from this particular place or that Iscariot means dagger. But certainly, if we focus on Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector, these two politically could not be further on the spectrum apart from each other. See, the Zealots were a group that was beginning to rise up in the Maccabean revolution that happened many decades before the birth of Christ. And then in close to the birth of Christ, a man named Judas rises up with a zealous nature to begin the process to try to overthrow Rome. And from that, he is crucified, but his followers scatter, and this movement would continue to 
to have a burning undercurrent in that day that would then have his full expression in 68 AD where there would be a war of the Jewish zealots against Rome. And they would try to cast Rome out of their nation. And Rome would respond in kind by stamping them out and burning it all to the ground and destroying the temple of God in the process in Jerusalem along with it. So the zealots were anti-Rome. And Matthew, the tax collector, would be the exact opposite of this. Tax collectors had sold themselves to Rome, loved money and loved the wealth that came from this great empire so much that they would sell out their countrymen. And they would take some off the top to make themselves wealthy and then give it to the most hated empire in the world. These two men under the banner of Jesus Christ, part of the 12, could not be more different ideologically in their political influence. That would be the same today as us understanding that sitting in the pews would be a member of Antifa and a member of the far right. And yet, both men would shed their political identity under the banner of Jesus Christ and would become a disciple of him and not a disciple of their political ideology. This shows us the power of Jesus to bring together people who disagree and who can love one another and follow after his commandments. This brotherhood of love inside of the church is so important that as you move through the New Testament, nearly every New Testament author, every apostle, and every writer speaks on brotherhood and speaks on love for one another. We're gonna go through a tremendous amount of scripture this morning, and I think that's important. Scripture's the only thing that can speak into this, greater than anything I can say. But oh friends, we must hear what is being said and then we must do it. It cannot hit our ears and stop. But let me read to you some of the words written in the New Testament from their authors. Jesus, in John 13, 34, and 35, says this, I give you a new command, love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Here's so much of what Jesus is saying in this. We are to love one another as a command. This is not an option for a believer. Love one another. In what way? Just as Jesus Christ has loved us. In every facet of how Christ loves us, we are to love others. And he said, why? So the whole world will know that you are my disciple in the way that you love one another. How is the whole world viewing Christianity right now? as Jesus saves banners are being used to pummel cops. Peter, 1 Peter 1, 22 through 23, since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other, from a pure heart love one another constantly because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. John, 1 John 2, 9 through 11, the one who says that he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. 
The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Paul, Romans 12.10, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in lifting the other up. Galatians 5, 14 and 15, for the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. James, James 2, 8. Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Why did each of the New Testament authors concentrate on this so much? Because they knew as they were reaching out to a church that is being born of different people, of different tribes and different cultures, that the old sinful man would always be grasping and grabbing at us and always wishing to pull us back into hatred and division. And so the authors continue to lay before us, love one another, lift each other up, care for each other so that the whole world will know you are Jesus's, that you bear his name. Jesus has told us here, love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? He says further in Matthew 7, 12, therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Whatever you seek after for yourself, do for others. If you want to be heard, listen. If you want to be safe, shelter others. If you want to be healthy, care for others. If you want to be free, serve others. This is what it means to love others as self. So we're to start here, brothers and sisters. We are not to be divided by pews. We are not to be divided by political ideologies. We are not to be divided by anything. We are to surrender all of that for the banner of Jesus Christ. There should be no hate because of how we believe. We are to be unified and show the world that people can come together for a greater cause. And how silly a cause is it for politics? It's silly. Jesus Christ is the one and only. Who else do we see as our neighbor? The second thing I want you to see is this. Our neighbor is the one who is in need. If you would like, turn to Luke 10, 25 through 37. This is a parable we all know. It's the parable of the good Samaritan. We are all very familiar with this. This speaks again of who our neighbor is. As I alluded to earlier, we would have someone ask Jesus, who is my neighbor? I want to read just a little bit of this. We're familiar with it. But Luke 10, 25 through 29 opens it up, and this is what it says. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Well, you've answered correctly, he told them. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Key on that word, justify himself, meaning that he wanted to make what actions he felt was appropriate be appropriate by justifying them. 
And so he wanted to go further and ask Jesus, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus proceeds to tell him the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we're all familiar with it. We see a man who's walking on the road from Jericho, and he is attacked by robbers. And as he is there bleeding within an inch of his life, Jesus says, a priest comes. And see, for this man to see a priest, God's servant coming should have been a moment of relief. I'm about to be saved. But what do we see happens? The priest moves to the other side of the road. He sees the problem and he avoids it. And what comes behind the priest? A Levi. A Levi, a servant in the temple. And again, this should have been a moment of relief for the person who was so injured. But in the same way as the, the priest, the Levi moves to the other side of the road. And then Jesus says the Samaritan comes forward. Now today we always see Samaritans, that word, as someone who does good. But to first century ears, to those whom Jesus is speaking, this would have been detestable. It would have been the hardest thing in the world to hear. A tainted one, a dog, a traitor to the cause, those who gave up on Israel, those who have been intermingled with the outside cultures, those who are the most unclean and hated is the one who comes forward and who assists. Why? Because the Samaritan saw a need and he addressed it. He saw someone who was hurting and he helped. This is a problem that we have, oh church, and we can all see it. See, the Samaritan didn't go, it was not my fault, so it's not my problem. That's what the priest and the Levi did. This is not my fault, it's not my problem to fix. Church, what Jesus is saying here is when someone is hurting, no matter the hurt, we don't justify the hurt and say, I didn't cause that hurt, so I'm not going to do anything to fix it. Jesus says that is the height of hypocrisy. He says, no, when someone hurts, you bring healing. What did the Samaritan do? He attended to all the wounds of the individual who was hurt bathed him in oil, put him on his donkey, took him to a hotel, and paid whatever cost it took to make sure he was cared for. He took a man from an inch of his life and loved him back to life. That's the message. That's the message. Look how it ends, Luke 10, 36 and 37. Which of these three do you think proved, hang on that word, proved, showed themselves to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The answer, the one who showed mercy to him. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Let those words echo in our ears, O church. Go and do the same. This is a command from our Savior. Who is our neighbor? The one who is in need. Lastly is this. We've seen already a neighbor is our brothers and sisters in Christ. We've seen that is one who is in need. Lastly, our neighbor is our enemy. Matthew 5, 43 and 46 says this. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. 
For if you love those who love you, what reward will, will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Jesus is answering his question as he asks it. If you love those who are the same mind as you, what reward do you have? The answer is none. Church, hear that and take it with the seriousness that comes with it. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? You don't have a reward. He tells us why we love our enemies. So that they would see God. We do not fight our enemies. We do not kill our enemies. We love them into the throne of Jesus Christ. Why do we do this? We do this because we were enemies of God. And he sent his son to die for us. See, Jesus, we see in the scriptures, if you go to the temptation of Christ, what does Satan say to Jesus when he takes him up to the top of the temple? Cast yourself off. And won't the angels stop you from even having your toe touch the ground? The armies of heaven will come to you because he's tempting Jesus with what's going to happen on the cross. Let your servants rescue you. And when Jesus is before Pilate, what does he say to Pilate? When Pilate says, are you a king? And Jesus says, if I were a king of this earth, if my servants were of this earth, they would fight for me. And he's not saying that on the positive. He says, no, my kingdom is in heaven. And my servants who are kingdom-minded do not fight earthly wars. For me. See, Jesus, of all humans on this earth, the perfect man is the only one who would be justified to say it's not fair. I have been treated unfairly. And he could have called 10,000 legions of angels to wipe us all out, to destroy his enemies. And what did he do instead? He loved them. He loved us. He loved me enough to die for me so that I would see God. Who of us would condemn a man to die by our own hand? Not knowing if they would go to hell in that moment. May it be none of us. Our enemies. So how are we to love our enemies? Same way as Jesus has said, love your neighbor as yourself. And loving others as self is wanting the exact same best for them that we would want for ourselves. And as a believer, what is the exact best that we want? We want eternity, eternal life with Jesus Christ. And we must love others in that same way. We must show love to all. I close with this, and I know this has been a hard sermon, but it needs to be said, O church. The words of God need to be heard and acted upon on this. But I want to close with a quote, another Facebook quote from a man named John Avant, who is the head of Life Action Ministries. Brother Bob Lohman shared this and is so pertinent. Let us hear this. 
This is what John Avant says. He said, after yesterday, there is a desperate need for Jesus' followers to help others understand who Jesus actually is, what it actually means that he saves, and what the gospel actually teaches and the action the gospel inspires. I cannot stress how important this is for the American church. We have allowed our narrative to be taken from us. If we do not quickly and clearly proclaim and demonstrably paint a drastically different picture than what the world saw yesterday, Jesus saves signs as a backdrop to mob violence and Confederate flags in the Capitol. We will damage the mission of Jesus to which we are called for for at least a generation. A good place to start would be to help show how a Christian worldview identifies our true problem and solution. For instance, I hear people on TV saying, we are better than this. No, we're not. We are broken and desperately sinful. Our problem is not fundamentally bad policies. It is bad people like me. Sin has not just corrupted, quote unquote, those other people. I am the problem. Repentance is my only hope. Forgiveness and grace alone changes me and a nation. And not authentic, an authentic grace and forgiveness leads to love, healing, and humility, not hateful anger, destruction, and arrogance. We don't have much time. Start today in how you pray, in how you post online, in how you talk to family and friends, in how you relate in grief and humility to those who do not believe as we do. In other words, not to your quote-unquote political opponent, but to one who Jesus the same one who loves you, loved enough to die for. And that is our only hope. And the message as I close today, now is a time for us, O oh church, to act. It is a time for us to decide. Are we only going to hear these words that have been repeated over and over in the gospel? Or are we going to do something about them? Now is the time for us to decide because the whole world sees Jesus' followers as anti-peaceful. Now is the time for us to prove, prove as Jesus said, prove who our neighbor is, prove our love. We're at a precipice and the powers that be, the powers of Satan, want to push us further and further to the edge. And it's only through the power of Jesus Christ will we ever come back from the brink. And it has to start here. And it has to start in love. And so now is an opportunity as we, as I close, we're going to sing. I'm going to pray. We will soon be dismissed. But there's an opportunity here, a lot of opportunities. The first of which is, oh, church, consider what's been said. And if there's someone you need to apologize to, apologize today and do not delay. Get rid of your pride. Surrender it. Slay it at the feet of Jesus and apologize and show love. Let us be introspective. There may be some here today who do not know Jesus Christ and are struggling with what they've seen on TV with what they've heard in this room today. And I can assure you that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. No matter how his followers act, no matter how those who would claim him act and their falsehoods, Jesus truly saves. And he is our only hope of reconciliation. 
And all you must do to become a follower of Jesus Christ is confess your sins and then confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. But notice what Jesus says. Count the cost. The cost is your very self. You are a living sacrifice. And so I offer that to you today. If you wish to be a living sacrifice for Jesus Christ, now is the time. The days are drawing closer to a close. There's not much time left. And lastly is this. You may desire to become a member of this church, to be a part of this body. I can assure you of this. No matter how fiery I have been from the pulpit today, it's from a wounded heart for what I see in our nation. But I have seen over and over again how loving Mint Hill Baptist Church is. And wouldn't you want to be a part of a family that loves that much? You can do that today by joining us. Church, let us not walk out of here the same as we walked in. Let us take all of the pain and the anguish that we have seen and not let it translate into hate. But instead, uncommon love and uncommon grace for others. Let's pray. Mighty Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. A hard lesson. Hard for me. Hard to hear. But Father, I pray that you would move and change us. You are our only hope. Father, we also see you will not tolerate your name being used in vain. Father, we have seen in your scriptures, Lord, how your followers, if they take your name in vain, if they act with your name in vain, you will plow them under. Father, turn us from that road. Let us see what your son has said, and that the whole world will know that we are yours, that we are his, and how we love. Change us today, O oh Lord. I pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ.